turn things around? That was basically the question I asked you. Are you struggling at all? Do you have a bad situation in your life right now that you are actually struggling to, to see it turn around? You want it to turn around, you want it to change, but it's not. How many of you have ever faced that? Okay, we all have faced that. Now, what people normally do, if you're like most people, you have tried different strategies to turn things around. Uh, for example, you might have Googled for the solution to your problem. That's okay. There's only so far Google can go, right? Sometimes it's hit or miss. And there's a lot of bad information out on the web, to be honest with you. Um, other people try and they go for, to family and friends and they, you know, they, they ask them for advice. We ask our relatives for help. Maybe, maybe we ask them for money to hold us over. Maybe we ask them for prayer. And that's all right. And that's good. I think that's important. But the, the problem is that sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, our family and friends, no matter how well-meaning they are, accidentally or unintentionally get in the way of what God is trying to do in our life. This can happen. Now, others of you who are struggling to see a turnaround in your life, you've put your right hand in and then you've taken your right hand out. And you've put your right hand in and then you've turned yourself about. And you've done the hokey pokey. And you try to turn yourself around. But here's the problem. Like Humpty Dumpty, you can't piece yourself together again. So what I want to share with you this morning, I think from God's perspective... There are five stages of turning around. There, there are things that we need to be able to turn around in our life. Some of you have been trying to turn something around for so long that you've given up and you've lost hope. You know, as, as human beings, we didn't even know that we could run a one-minute mile until Roger Bannister did it. We didn't know that we could go to the moon until they did. We didn't know that we could fly until the, the two brothers put the first plane up there in the air. There's a lot of things that we think we're not capable of that God has given us capacity for. And I want to share with you this morning. I want you to become a U-turn leader. A U-turn leader is somebody who can make a U-turn. You can take something that's failing and then you can turn that thing around and make it fly and make it succeed and make it go. U-turns mean U-turns. A new you starts with a new view. Is there a better way that you can view the situation you're in right now? See, from God's perspective, there are five, I believe, there are five stages to turning something around in our life. And I want to share those with you very quickly. There's a turnaround leader in the Old Testament. His name was Nehemiah. The Israelites, the Israelites were in captivity. They had gone to Babylon. They were slaves to a foreign country, and then all of a sudden God let, let them go. He released them, brought them back to their homeland. There was a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a nobody, to be honest with you. He was a, um, a, a gopher for the king. You know, it's like, go do this, go do that. Um, he wasn't very important, and he wasn't a somebody. He just was a Jewish guy serving a foreign, a foreign king. And then something happened that changed him 
and turned him in what, into what's called a U-turn leader. Now, from God's perspective, things turn around whenever God raises up a leader, a prophet. When God has a plan, he calls a man or a woman. Change requires a leader. That's what change is. You want things to be better, you want things to change, then you've got to provide some leadership for it. Now, I want you to notice this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Kislev in the 20th year, this is Nehemiah speaking. When I was in the fortress city of Susa, that was like King Artaxerxes' vacation home, okay? Hanani, one of my brothers, in other words, one of my Jewish brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. He said, how's everybody doing, Hanani? How's your family? How's old Scott that lived down Bethlehem Boulevard, you know? How's he doing? And he just was asking you know, how things are going. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned down. Why were they in trouble and why were they so distressed? The reason is because Jerusalem, the city, the wall had been broken down. In those days, if you were a major city and you didn't have a wall, you're toast. You're a sitting duck for any country that wants to come in and invade you and enslave you and take your wives and your husbands and your children and do whatever they want to with you. Nehemiah was stunned at this information. Now, in your life, when, when God wants to turn something around, he raises up a leader. Now, sometimes God raises up a leader and he sends the leader into your life. Other times, God makes you into a leader, and then he sends you. I like that second one pr pretty well. I say to the Lord, Lord, make me the leader I need to be. Lord, make me the man I need to be. Make me the husband I need to be, the father. You ever ask the Lord for that? You said, Lord, make me the leader that, that I need to be. You see, nothing gets better until you get better. Jim Rohn said, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Life's not going to get any easier, but you can get a whole lot better. Now, I know a lot of people that are getting old, including myself. My kids remind me. When I get a haircut, I'll ask them, how's it look? And they'll say, like a middle-aged man desperately trying to hold on to his youth. Oh, thanks, kids. I appreciate it. You know, it happens, but you can get better. I know a lot of people getting older, but they're not getting any better. They're just getting meaner and grumpier. And worse off, the older they get. You know what? It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. God wants to make you into a U-turn kind of leader where you can take something that's failing, turn it around. Get it going in the right direction. That's what revival is all about. That's what Pastor Tim's been talking about. Revival. 
repentance. It's when you, when you take a U-turn from going in the wrong direction, and then you start going in the right direction. It's like this. I used to think this way. Now I think this way. By the way, you don't have revival and you don't repent by making yourself feel bad. You repent by thinking differently. You repent by changing your mind. So God's not interested in sending you on a guilt trip. That's usually our own doing. But God wants to make you into a leader who can turn things around. You've got to figure out what is it that's hurting this situation, and and we've got to figure it out. Now, the second stage, and, and these are all closely linked together, God raises not only a leader, but he raises awareness, and that's prayer. Notice what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah's words, this is his, his book. When I heard these words, what words? That my, my Jewish brothers and, and sisters were in trouble, the walls were broken down. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, time out. When's the last time you got so serious about changing your situation you did that? I mean, you got down to business with God. And you said, God, I'm not going to eat till you change this situation. God, I'm not going to get off this floor face down before you till you change this situation. Or you change me. But something's got to change, Lord. Nehemiah, first thing he did was he prayed. Is that your first option whenever you're in a situation? Or do you try to figure it out yourself? You know, there are some things in life, folks, you can't think your way out of. There's some things in life you can't solve your way out of. And there's a lot of things in life you can't pay your way out of. Some things in life you have to trust your way through. And wait on God. Nehemiah went to God. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today. Why? Because Nehemiah had an idea. He had a plan. It formulated quickly, and he decided to act on it. How many of you know that nothing changes until you take action? The rest of you don't know that? Oh, the rest of you are procrastinating on taking action, right? Okay. He said, your name, give your servant success today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man at the time I was the king's cupbearer. That's what he did. He was the guy who when the king would have wine brought to him, Nehemiah got to taste it first. That's how dispensable his life was. Let me taste that first, king, so that I make sure you're not getting poisoned by a foreigner. That's what he did. In his eyes, he was a nobody. But God laid a burden on Nehemiah's heart. And that's what changes you. It's not that all of a sudden you become Superman or Superwoman. We're very ordinary people, aren't we? I mean, I'm thankful God uses imperfect people. What happens is that God lays a burden on your heart. You're troubled. You want to see something happen. That's what happened with Nehemiah. 
God raised his awareness. He didn't know what was going on with Jerusalem until he asked. So he asked. He got an answer. And what he did was he ended up going to the king. And I like this. The third stage in God turning something around is when he, God raises the standard. This has to do with our performance. This has to do with, you know, when you work for some bosses, now you, you can tell me if this is true or not, some of the bosses you've worked for in the past, isn't it true that some of the bosses you worked for got about this much effort from you? But then there was that special boss who you really liked, they were a great leader, and they got that much of you. That's how it happens, right? The difference is energy. If, if you don't work for a great leader or a great boss, then, then you're ready to leave at 5. 4.30, you're packing everything up. You've backed your car in so you can jet out as quick as you can, right? You're going around telling everybody goodbye. Hey, good to see you. I'll see you tomorrow. All right, see you. But if you're there and you work for a great boss or great leader and you've got a burden, you've got a mission, you've got a purpose, you pour yourself into that, into that work. Nehemiah went to his king. During the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. Wow. Why? Because in those days, if you were sad in the presence of a king, he could kill you. The king's word was gospel. If the king said kill, they got killed. If the king said don't, spare them, they got spared. It's just the way it worked in a monarchy in those days. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you sad when you're not sick or you aren't sick? This is nothing but depression. He could see that Nehemiah's friend was deeply troubled about something. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king knew at that point there was a request coming. Then the king asked me, what is your request? Now, notice what Nehemiah does. Once again, he prays. You know, sometimes I call them prayer grams. You know, it's not like this long, Oh, Lord, thou gracious and heavenly Father, come thou into our midst and change this situation. It's not those prayers. It's like, God, help me. I'm about to go into that meeting. <laughs> sometimes those prayers are the best kind of prayers. So I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king. I don't know what he said to God, but it probably was something like, help. Right? If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah. Send me, Lord. Well, who am I? Nehemiah is not this great leader. <laughs> He's a cupbearer. He didn't take leadership training at college or seminary or get a master's degree. He was a cupbearer. <laughs> He was so dispensable that if he keeled over after drinking the wine, the king would just replace him. No big deal. Go get somebody else. 
This is not an extraordinary person we're talking about here. It's just Nehemiah. But he had a burden. He had a burden. And you know what else he had? He had a God who hears prayers. And he had a situation that needed turning around. And so he prays again. And he asks them, send me to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. What needs rebuilding in your life right now? What needs rebuilding? The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time. And it pleased the king to send me. Now, what's pretty cool about this is he's gathering up his courage. He, he's asking for some time off. Are you with me? He says, king, can I have some time off? We're not talking about a sick day. We're not talking about two weeks. I need about a month and a half to two months sabbatical. Is that okay with you, king? He's asking for time off. The king says, okay, I'll give you that. I'll let you go. Well, then Nehemiah sort of builds up his courage. He says, well, he hasn't thrown me out yet. I might as well ask for this too. He says, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. Not only do I want time off, but I want you to send me a posse and an escort service. I want, it to, I want you to send people with me to take care of me, to protect me. I want my own guards. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I live. And by the way, I want you to pay for it, King Artaxerxes. Whoa, that's faith. That's faith. You ever, you ever gone to a bank and asked for a loan? You ever told them, the Lord sent me. <laughs> this is, I'm doing God's work. Please give us this loan. That's not how it works, is it? No, it doesn't work like that. But for Nehemiah, he had a burden. He had a burden and he said, King, this is important. He had his awareness raised. And he was becoming a leader. Even in this process, it's the process that makes you a leader. It's the process that helps you turn things around. One of the reasons, listen closely to me and come in close because I want you to hear this. One of the reasons that God doesn't instantly change the things you don't like right now in your life is because he's more interested in growing you than he is the situation. And you and I cannot grow unless we go through difficult times. You don't grow on easy street. You don't grow sitting on your own private island drinking out of a cup with an umbrella in it. You grow when you suffer. Let me say that again. You grow when you suffer. Now, how many of you like suffering? Me either. Nobody likes suffering. I hate it. Is it not a part of life, though? Yeah, we have pain. We all have pain. That, that's one of the things that unites all of us in here today is that every single one of us have had pain in our, has had pain in our life. We know what it's like. Fourth stage. Oh, by the way, he says, the king granted my requests. Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Did you know that? Your boss, your leader, 
your manager, the Bible says that his or her heart actually is in God's hands, not their own. Whoa. That's different. That means that when you come to a situation that you don't like, you don't necessarily have to be the one to make it all different. You go to God. You pray. You talk to the Lord. Leaders make prayer their first option. Losers make prayer their last resort. Number four, God raises the stakes. Now, this is pressure. God raises the stakes. He does it in every situation that you and I are facing right now. What's at stake in that situation for you? Is it your marriage? Is it bankruptcy? Is it a long Precious friendship that's about to break? What is it? God raises the stakes. He puts pressure into our life. Notice what happens. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to seek the well-being of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. Well, I don't like what you're doing, Nehemiah. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became Furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Like God's going to help them, really? Okay. Will they ever finish it? <laughs> we know these guys don't finish anything. Look at their walls. They get halfway through a project and then they quit. You know anybody like that? <laughs> No? Okay. Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. That, that was like his sarcastic joke. <laughs> God raises the stakes. How many of you know that every time you stand up and say, Let's do it, somebody else stands up and say, Let's don't. happens every time. God allows us to have opposition. Now, how many of you know that Jesus had Judas? You and I are no better than Jesus, and you're going to have your Judas too. You're going to have somebody in your life that pretends to be your friend and then betrays you. You're going to have somebody in your life that opposes God's will for you. They're going to act like they know what's best for you, and they're going to share their opinions because they've got them on what they think you ought to be doing. But Nehemiah listened to God. It doesn't matter what these guys are doing. Nehemiah stayed focused on his God-given mission to rebuild these walls. He stayed focused by the way, the end of the story is that they built the walls. I, you should just go home and read the book of Nehemiah. It is a, it's a master class in leadership. A master class of how somebody goes from a nobody to somebody God can use. God gives you a burden. He raises your awareness. So you start praying. You hit your knees. You say, God, I can't do this unless you step in. It's that urgent to you. 
God comes in and he begins to change who you are. You, you and I, we Google a lot of stuff. Like if I can't fix something, I want to find a, a video on YouTube where they show me how to fix it. The problem is I need more than just information. I need transformation. So I need more than just what the web can give me, what my cell phone can do for me, what technology promises me. I need more than that. I don't know about you, but I need more. I need God. You say, well, Brad, God, is God even relevant anymore? I mean, I look at all the technology and science, and we, we can do all these things now. Yeah, it's kind of like asking, is the sun still relevant? You still need that? Only every day. <laughs> but it's been around for so long. I want to get rid of the sun. Nah, we need it, right? Just like you and I need God. Fifthly, God raises the funds called provision. Notice what happened. There was a widespread. Nehemiah went to his, his countrymen and he gathered them like every leader does. He recruited people to help, just like Jessica was talking about. They present a need and they say, here's the need. Let's get these walls built. And, and by the way, and he, he delegated the work and he got all the, the men and women and children together and he said, this is the goal. And then he delegated and they got it done in 52 days. 52 days. Halfway through the project, they got discouraged. They looked around at all the rubble and they're like, we can't do this. This is too big for us. We're in way over our head. You ever felt like that? Ever been in a situation where you started a project or started something, got halfway through? Halfway through? And you just were like, oh, I'm going to raise the white flag on this one. I don't know if I can finish this project. This Bathroom renovation has gotten the best of me. Whatever it might be. And they had to be encouraged. They had to keep going. That's what I love about Hope. Hope Birkins. She doesn't quit. <laughs> she keeps fighting. She keeps going forward. She keeps trusting. There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. Notice what happened here. Some were saying, we, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. We have a lot of kids. We're Jewish, not Amish, but we do have a lot of kids. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Just let us get some food. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during the famine. There was a famine. Part of the Jewish people were poor and they needed food. But in order to get that food, they had to, well, they had to put a lien on it with their land or put a lien on whatever they owned. They were, they were doing it. And the other Jewish people who were the wealthy were taking advantage of that. God drops Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah into that situation. A nobody, a cupbearer, not an accountant, a cupbearer. Not a president, a cupbearer. He sips stuff for a living. Sips. How would, how would you like to describe, hey, what do you do? I sip stuff. <laughs> no, I, that's never going on my resume. I don't know about you. No, 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 no. <laughs> 
Still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children. In other words, they're no better than us. We're Jews too. Yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. Nehemiah writes his feelings like a journal. I became extremely angry, Nehemiah says, when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After seriously considering the matter, I accused the nobles and officials, saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interest. He says, this interest rate that you're charging your fellow Jews is way out of line. It's way too high. How many of you wish Nehemiah would show up and tell that to your mortgage lender? Wouldn't that be cool if Nehemiah could come in and just, you know, he could work out a lower interest rate for you? Wouldn't that be great? I'd love that. Each of you is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them, and he said, We have done our best to buy back our Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners. But now you sell your own countrymen, and we have to buy them back. They remained silent and could not say a word. Then I said, what, are you do- what you are doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies? Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Nehemiah was there as the leader. And he goes in and he realizes, well, my neighbor needs a little bit of a help for the next couple weeks because they're not eating. Nehemiah has been lending them food, lending them money. Please let us stop charging this interest. Return their fields. In other words, give it back to them. Vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money. This is God raising funds. How many of you know that ministry takes money? Yeah, so like this, sometimes I think about our building here and our land and everything, and some people look at this church and they think it just dropped out of the sky like the mothership. One day it wasn't here and the next, boom, there it is. But, you know, somebody had to turn on the lights this morning before you and I got here, right? Somebody had to turn on the AC so we could feel decently cool in here. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And all of that requires money. And God knows that. So God's vision has God's resources. When God gives a man or a woman a vision, he also provides to them the resources they need to accomplish that. This is God making sure to set things right. This is what's called a U-turn. Hey, you rich people, stop charging the poor people. They didn't throw Nehemiah in jail. They listened to him. That's called influence. Influence. That's what leadership is, influence. Nehemiah was given influence by God, not because he was a superhero, but just because he was willing. He was a servant, a servant. They responded, we will return these things and require nothing more from them. God humbled their heart, and they humbled their heart. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priests and made everyone take an oath to do this. 
I also shook the folds of my robe and said, may God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. You've made a promise, now keep it. May he be shaken out and have nothing. The whole assembly said, amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did as they had promised. As the story goes on, they finished the wall in 52 days. A month and a half, basically. That's a, that's a major project in a month and a half without all of the tools that we have today in modern construction. Are you with me? It's pretty unbelievable. But you know, when God's people get a mind to do something, we get it done, don't we? <laughs> we do. The Bible says the people had a mind to work, that their heart was in it, their mind was in it. And you know what? Their money was in it. They said, we're going to give what it takes. We're going to do what it takes. Because God's will is the ultimate thing in our lives. I hope this has been helpful for you. I want you to consider this. The next time you go into a situation that you see, and it's obvious to everybody, it needs turning around. You can walk in and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see this, this situation needs a U-turn. Something needs to change. The next time you go into that situation, I want you to remember Nehemiah. That ordinary cupbearer who became a leader when he put his life in God's hands. Every day, you and I vote on God. We vote on God every day. We vote on our president every four years. We vote on other legislators every two years. But every single day, you and I vote on God, don't we? We wake up and we go, am I going to follow him or not today? Let's see. I vote no. No, not today, God, because I, you know, I, I just don't feel like it. Or we say, yes, Lord. I say yes to you. That's what I want for you. I want for you the experience that Nehemiah had. I want you to experience change that blows you away, that raises your imagination, and you can see God working in your life, and you actually see things change. And you live full of hope, not hopeless, full of faith, not faithless, full of love, not loveless. I want that for you. God wants that for you. Can you imagine what life would be like when you had that kind of experience? Just say yes to God. It's your vote. It's your choice. What's God going to do for you? About as much as you expect him to. Jesus said, according to your faith, so be it unto you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I praise you, Father, for Nehemiah. What an example to us of servant-hearted leadership. Oh, God, that we would desire to become that kind of person. Lord, there are times when we want to want to because deep down we don't want to. 
And so we even ask you to give us the want to. Help us to want to be like you. Help us to want to serve you. Help us to want to follow you. Even when we don't feel like it. I pray a prayer of blessing over every person in this room today that you would make us into the people that you want us to be. Teach us your ways, O Lord, and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.